Let's pray. Lord, at this time we want to come to you for the needs of our church and our community and our country. Lord, I pray for those who are really struggling with the stay-at-home order and it's affecting their mental health. I'm asking, Lord, that you would enter into their situation and show that you are very present there. I'm asking, Lord, for those who are feeling lonely, that they would, in fact, know that you don't leave them and you haven't forsaken them, but you're very present. Lord, I pray for those who are feeling depressed these days. I'm asking that you would give them strength and lead them into joy. Lord, I pray for those who are battling sickness. I'm asking, Lord, that you would direct them in the path that they should go. We pray for healing, for hope, for help. Lord, only you can do uh, what needs to be done, and so we trust you with that. And so, Lord, we pray for our country, too. Pray for our leaders. And I ask that you give them great wisdom. And help us as a country to recover uh, well from this pandemic. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are going to start a new series on the book of Colossians. I am going to call this series Genuine because it talks about who Jesus really is. And it allows us to see who we are. And we're called into believing in a genuine Jesus. And we're called into being what we all we can be for and with Jesus. Just like there are people around the uh, around the church in our time, there were people around the church in Colossae who were promoting a shallow faith. They were promoting a different kind of faith. So what Paul does in the book of Colossians is that he centers uh, the book around Jesus so that they would know who Jesus really is. And if you can grasp what's going on in these uh, chapters that we're going to look at over the next three months, I believe that, that it is going to be really transformational for you, because I believe that God's going to speak to you and lead you into connection with Jesus, and that's where uh, transformation really happens. Before we jump into the book, let me give you some background. The author, as I said, was Paul and Timothy, although it looks like Paul was the primary author of this book. This book was written to uh, the church in the city of Colossae. Now, here's an interesting factoid. Paul had never visited that church or that city, but he knows some people in the Colossian church. Um, I'm going to come back to that, but... Let me tell you a little bit about the church. You can see on, on the map that the red line is Paul's third missionary journey. Starts on the right-hand side of the map at Antioch, and he travels uh, through Asia Minor, and uh, he passes through uh, Laodicea, which is just really close to Colossae, but he doesn't get to Colossae. Now, Colossae is represented by the blue arrow there. And then he goes on to Ephesus, and Ephesus is represented by the black arrow on the map. And he stays in Ephesus for a year. 
And then he continues following the red line and he ends up uh, back in Jerusalem. And uh, that is uh, off the right-hand bottom side of the map. So in Jerusalem, he gets arrested and eventually he's sent to Rome as a prisoner. And while he's in Rome, Epaphras, who is a disciple of Paul, and we'll get into that a little later, uh, uh, goes to visit him in Rome. Or Philippian, or I should say Philemon chapter, or verse 23 says that he's a fellow prisoner. So maybe he was incarcerated with Paul in Rome. Nevertheless, somehow Paul hears about the church in Colossians, uh, the church in Colossae, and he writes this letter to the Colossians. The, the church in, in, in Colossae was an amazingly healthy church. So come with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. The, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of, of Christ on our behalf, and who has told us of your love in the spirit. When Paul thinks about uh, the Colossians, his, his heart breaks out in worship because he sees the work of Christ going on in their lives. Uh, the church of, of Colossae was an amazingly healthy church. Uh, the fruit of the gospel is evident in them. And so in, in six verses, he gives five characteristics of a healthy church. In verse 4, he, he tells about their faith in Jesus. That, of course, is where everything starts. Over the course of the book, we're going to expand on what that faith in Jesus looks like. In verses 4 and 8, he talks about their love for God's people. You remember that Jesus gave us a new commandment to love one another, and the people would know that we are his followers by our love for one another. So this church has put their faith in Jesus, and they love one another, Two signs of a healthy church. The third sign is in verse 5. That faith and love comes from the hope that is stored up in heaven for them. That's a curious phrase. Um, the faith and love does, doesn't come from the hope of heaven, but the hope that is stored up in heaven. Jesus talks about storing up treasures in heaven. Suffice it to say that healthy followers of Jesus live their lives knowing that this life is not all there is. They live their life knowing that faith and love not only have benefits for this life, but the, the one to come. They live their understanding that sickness and hardship, even death, cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Fourth characteristic of a healthy church is that the good news of Jesus is bearing fruit and growing. Uh, verse 6 says, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you, since you truly heard it and truly understood God's grace. 
When Paul talks about the fruit of the gospel, he's talking about things like the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. He's talking about the fruit of righteousness and holiness. The gospel is bearing fruit in their life, and they're growing, and the church is expanding. These people's faith lives were not stagnant. They were, they were deepening. They were growing. They were maturing. Fifth and last characteristic Paul lists in this passage of a healthy church is that they truly understood the grace of God. People in Paul's time and people in our time struggle with the concept of grace. Grace means you can't earn God's favor. Grace means that all the good things we have are we don't deserve, but God's favor is on us and he's given us uh, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. He's given us all those good things that come under the banner of his grace. And that allows us to truly be gracious with one another. The fact that that God, God's grace is evident in their life, Paul goes on to say that you've learned this from Epaphras. So there you have the five characteristics of a healthy church. Faith in Christ, love their brothers and sisters in Christ. They have stored up hope in heaven. Um, the gospel is bearing fruit and they're growing in the Lord. They truly understand grace. That, my friends, is a sign of a really healthy church. Those are the five signs that the people in Colossae, uh, in the Colossian church, have uh, displayed. And what that shows is that, well, they've been really well discipled. I have a lot of friends who are pastors, and I see the church that, that they are pastoring uh, through their eyes, just as Paul was seeing the Colossian church through Epaphras' eyes. And um, many of the churches that I hear about could not be described as healthy. People have a faith in Christ, but it's not a strong faith. And a number of people who are still showing up and sitting in the pews are people who have lost their faith, but are still coming anyways. Love for their brothers and sisters has been dampened by fighting about politics or conspiracy theories or just past hurts that haven't really been forgiven. Many people take no thought of the hope for, stored up for them in heaven and live as if this life was all that there was. The gospel is not bearing fruit in these lies. People are not coming to Christ. People are not really growing in their faith. Their testimony is ancient about the work of God in their life, not current. When that happens, you don't really get grace. Grace um, gets substituted for religious works, really. Now, I'm not telling you anything new. You, you've heard the stories of people who are called Christians but live like that. Um, but here is what you may not have thought through. The most common cause of a healthy, unhealthy church is unhealthy discipleship. Or maybe it would be better to say inadequate discipleship. And it is especially true now. We're being shaped by our cultures in profound ways. 
The, the number one discipler in our time is these things, the cell phones. Social media, the news, entertainment are subtly but profoundly shaping us. And when people come to church, a sermon on a Sunday cannot compete with all the influences that are around us during the week. But for many people, the Sunday sermon is the only discipleship influence they have. Even small groups, and I'm a big fan of small groups, won't help us if, if they do not, uh, if all that they do is share ideas. Listen to this very familiar verse. It's called the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, disciples just don't learn what Jesus said. They do what Jesus commanded. They were to make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that Christ had commanded. Disciples... Ship is about living out what Jesus taught. So the question is, how do you get a healthy church? How do you get a well-discipled church? For that, I want to take you through a quick romp uh, through the book of Acts. Um, and then we'll come back to our passage today. I want you to be able to see the discipleship process. Our story starts with a man named Joseph who the apostles renamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Barnabas was a key person in the early church. You may remember that before Paul uh, was an apostle, he persecuted the church. And then he encountered Jesus, and uh, he traveled to Jerusalem. But the believers there were afraid of him, thinking this might just be a scam in order for him to persecute us more. Uh, they were skeptical of his new new birth. Here's what Acts chapter 9, verse 26 says. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey had seen the Lord and had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. See, Barnabas was, first of all, key to Paul's inclusion in the church. Now, Paul started to preach in Jerusalem. It made some, some people very angry. There was a plot to kill him. So uh, the believers there escorted him out of the city, and he went back to his hometown of Tarsus. Now, after a while, the early church, uh, at, at the start, the early church was, was made up of Jewish believers. But after a while, some of those Jewish believers dispersed to different uh, cities around uh, Asia Minor, and some of those believers went to Antioch. And what happened in Antioch was that many non-Jewish people followed Jesus. And, and the church in Jerusalem, quite frankly, wasn't, wasn't sure what to think of this. So they sent Barnabas to investigate, and he saw a true move of God. It became obvious that, that these new believers were going to have to be instructed in the way of the Lord. 
So in Acts chapter 11, verse 25, it says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians, first at Antioch. You'll notice that Luke, the author of Acts, lists Barnabas' name first here. As he does in, in Acts 13, when he's told the uh, Holy Spirit tells him to set apart Barnabas and Saul for a missionary journey. Barnabas was the discipler. He was the leader. But then, soon after this, Paul's great passion for the faith and his gifting surpassed Barnabas. And after that, when they're mentioned, it's now Paul and Barnabas instead of Barnabas and Paul. By the way, a good discipler, a good mentor, loves when he is surpassed by his student. Someone once said, a great leader is not the one in the spotlight. He is the one leading the applause. Now, you're probably aware of Paul's ministry. Paul had um, 38 different co-workers that were mentioned in the New Testament. Some would have, have seen him, some see him as having mentored or discipled them all. Now, as I mentioned before, Paul traveled to, to Ephesus on his third missionary journey, and he started to meet with people uh, in the synagogue, as was his tradition. But after about three months, they kicked him out of the synagogue. Acts chapter uh, 19, verse 9 says, But some of them became obstinate. They refused to publicly uh, believe and publicly malign the way. So Paul uh, let them, uh, Paul left them, and he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall at Tyrannus. Now, we don't know much about the lecture hall in Tyrannus, other than that's where Paul lectured. But here's what Colossians chapter 1, verse 7 says. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ Jesus on our behalf. The church of Colossae was founded by Epaphras, there were a, a number of credible Bible teachers who say all the seven churches of the book of Revelation were founded um, by Paul or his disciples from this time in Ephesus. It, it seems like Paul was ministering in Ephesus and then he was dispatching people to uh, Colossae. So Epaphras gets to his hometown and he starts a church there. But now Epaphras is in Rome. And either he is a prisoner or shortly would become one. But the church carried on. It was obvious that uh, they were continuing to grow and grow in the, the fruit of the Spirit. And they were continuing to be discipled into what it means to be a healthy church. So Paul, Barnabas disciples Paul. And then Paul disciples Epaphras. And then Epaphras disciples the initial people coming to know the Lord, and a healthy church is formed. And those people continued to disciple the new people who are coming into the church because Epaphras is now away in Rome. That is multi-generational discipleship. That is the way the church is meant to be. That's the way Asbury is meant to be. 
I've been in ministry for 36 years. I've discipled a lot of people. But I haven't made disciples that have discipled others well. And for that, I've had to repent of. Here's what I believe that God is calling us to. God is calling us to be a healthy church. God is calling us to be a well-discipled church. Part of what that means is that we need to become a people who disciple people, and those people disciple other people. One of the challenges of this is that many people in the church, and you may be included among them, have never been discipled themselves. So they have no idea how to disciple others. For, for those of you who have been in the church and have never been discipled, well, we want to correct that. We're going to give you the opportunity to be discipled. And we want you to, to disciple you in a way that you'll be able to disciple others. But the question is, are you willing to make the commitment to become a healthy disciple? It takes time. It'll take time to learn the ways of God and to practice the practices of God and then to disciple people who are coming to know God. But here's the thing. You won't walk into all that God wants for you unless you are discipled and unless you give what God is teaching you away to become a discipler. So my question is, are you willing to move in that direction? I'm not asking anything of you today, but in the upcoming months, uh, probably starting in the fall, and over the next number of years, we're going to be calling you to be discipled and calling you to disciple others. Some people say, oh, you know, I, I just want to be a Christian, um, but I don't want to be a disciple. Bible never makes that distinction. We saw in the book of Acts where they called the disciples in Antioch for the first time Christians. A disciple and a Christian are meant to be synonymous terms where we're followers of Jesus. I'm calling you to, to move into a role that God will equip you for. You're going to be given the opportunity. The question is, will you say yes? God bless Father, I pray that as the next weeks go by, that you'll create a hunger in people to know you better, to follow you well, to become healthy. I pray for Asbury, Lord, that we would be an incredibly healthy church and we'll be healthy because, well, you have taught us well to follow you. Help us to be discipled well in you. Lord, help us to be the kind of disciples who disciple people who in turn disciple people. I know, Lord, I'm asking people to step out of their comfort zone. But I'm praying, Lord, that you would do this in such a way that there would be an incredible harvest and people would be growing uh, in the Lord and uh, that your people would be able to share the hope they have in them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.